It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December third, two thousand and nine. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you on Thursday night, as always, for our Internet Bible Study Group, the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad for all who are out there listening. We have a, a number of people who sort of make it an appointment every Thursday night to join us for the Virtual Bible Study, and we appreciate that. We know that there are a lot of people who listen to us on the archives through the podcast and so forth, and we always appreciate that as well. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If, you're, if you listen to us either live or in the archived form, send us an email sometime. Tell us where you're at and, and that you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, we're glad that you're there tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. Before we get too much farther into the program, for those of you looking at us live on Ustream.tv tonight, we're trying a new higher resolution on our broadcast, and so let us know how that's looking on your screen. Uh, let us know. Send us an email to questions at collegeu.com and just tell us how the new video looks. Thanks to John in Oklahoma and another John in Indiana for helping us get that together. What they may say, Jacob, is go back to the low resolution. Please go back just turn off to the, the camera low completely. resolution. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe you don't want to look at it. If you don't want to see us, you can always catch us on the audio-only feed. That's from our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you are on a low-bandwidth connection, or you just don't want to look at the video, you are welcome to uh, catch us on uh, the audio-only feed uh, that is available from our website. Jacob, uh, there's several ways people can get in touch with us, and we're always looking for listener feedback to our program. If you uh, want to join in the discussion tonight, you can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567. We pay the bill toll-free, 877-381-4567. Or you can send us an email. We try to watch our incoming emails all through the program to try and get your comments on the air. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And they can also chat, Jacob. Chat with us. Uh, the, the instructions on how to chat with other listeners is available in, uh, on the screen, scrolling across your screen. So uh, check that out. Um, also, you can uh, follow on Twitter. We send in our updates each week uh, on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter and you want to get an update, uh, uh, you can follow us. We are VBS Questions on Twitter. So look for VBS Questions on Twitter. Or check out the Facebook group that some of our listeners have started on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you can join in with other listeners there. Lots of ways for you to stay in touch with the program when we're off the air and lots of ways for you to get in touch with us tonight while we're live. You do so by calling 877-381-4567 or emailing questions at collegeview.com as we study an interesting topic tonight, a topic that may seem to be uh, somewhat of an oxymoron on the program tonight. But uh, we want to talk about seven things that a loving God hates. Seven things a loving God hates. I know many of our listeners... I'm getting kind of funny feedback here. You are. Uh, 
I know many of our listeners will be familiar with Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, uh, which talks about the things that God hates. I'm going to read that real quick because we're going to base our, our uh, discussion tonight on Proverbs 6, beginning verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. And so those are the things that God hates. We want to talk about each of those, and we're asking for your feedback. Here are the questions that we sent out earlier today to our update list. Number one, how do you harmonize the idea of a loving God with the fact that it is said he hates certain things? So he's supposed to be a loving God. How can a loving God hate things? We want to talk about that just briefly here at the start. Then we want you to give your comments. Question number two was give your comments about any or all of the seven things God hates that are listed there in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And what we especially want to do, Jacob, is talk about maybe some modern-day manifestations of those things, people doing those things in the modern world, ways that they are unfortunately achieving those abominations in this modern world. Right. And then number three, what's the difference? There Two things are mentioned. I think it sometimes is confusing to people. Two things are mentioned. It mentions that God hates a lying tongue, but then the the later in the list it says a false witness that speaks lies. Is there a difference between those two things? And if so, what is that difference? And we want to kind of look at that briefly as we get toward the end of our of our uh, examination tonight. All right. I have conducted a quick on-the-spot poll tonight about our video. And here's the feedback from our new video. Uh, it says that Greg looks so young. Uh, but uh, then Master of None says he, he looks good, but your white hair gives it away. Uh-huh. But I, oh, now I look old. They say. Yeah, so yeah. We're now we're turn Jacob off. looks so old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're glad that uh, that it is working tonight, and we uh, not that it matters how we look so much, but it just that you can uh, join in on the study. So we look forward to hearing from you on this. And important we've talked, subject Jacob. Tonight. We've talked about trying to do some different things with our video. Maybe getting another camera or two, so we get some different angles. Also, we talked about possibly being able to put some. Uh, Graphical, graphical feed into it as well. We haven't done that. We might get to that. But uh, anyway, we're there, working there, on it. There's a reason why we haven't yet, and that's because our technical ability hasn't uh, risen to that uh, level there's yet. A, there's a lot of opportunity, but our ability to achieve those opportunities is somewhat limited. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, all right. All right. Let's talk about seven things a loving God hates. And, you know, this should be really important to us to know the things that God hates. In fact, in the King James Version, that word is... These seven things are an abomination to him. The, uh, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. The word abomination is really a strong word, Jacob. It, it's uh, Some synonyms are that it's something loathsome to him, detestable. Actually, it's, it suggests the idea of something that's actually sickening, putrid. And so it's a really strong word. God really despises these things. He, he hates these things. Now, think about that for a minute. If you were on the job and you knew that your boss really hated certain things, I think any reasonable person would say, it makes sense for me to avoid that. Then if my boss hates that, I'm not going to do that. My my job is valuable to me. I, don't, I certainly don't want to lose my job. And if I know ahead of time that my boss doesn't like this, this, and this, I'm going to do my very best to avoid doing those things. That just makes sense. Well, what we're what we're thinking is 
that the same sort of common sense, even taken to a higher level, would say, if God hates something, I want to know what it is, and I definitely need to avoid that. It's more important than anything else to avoid the things that God hates. Absolutely right. And certainly if we respect God like we should, and he says that he hates something, as you said, Dad, we would want to make sure that we avoid it. Now, what about uh, the expression here that he said that he hates six things, yea, seven are an abomination? I think that's just uh, sort of uh, Hebrew literary uh, stylism. They're just just sort of using a, a literary technique to draw emphasis to what he's about to explain. I don't think he's. I don't think that. I've never. I've never been able to determine that there was anything special in that in that construction, other than it was just sort of a literary tool. That's why. That's why I understand it as well. It's calling attention on the fact that this is really something that you need to pay attention. Yeah. To. Now, the the first question we asked Jacob is, how do you harmonize the idea of a loving God? With the fact that it says there that he hates certain things. Um, and we've got a couple of responses to that, and I think they're on the mark. Randy in Jackson, Missouri says, God is not just a loving God. He is also a just God who must act according to his character. So God's justice would would demand that he hate or despise things that are wicked or evil or wrong. Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee writes and says, There are traits which I hate, such as selfishness, harsh judgment, and dishonesty. I'm confident none of us, to include worldly people, want these traits to be found in our children or in any of our loved ones. God is the same. He, too, hates certain character traits. He knows these evil traits found in his followers will lead those of the world to ridicule and mock his holy name. In addition, Christians who demonstrate these evil traits will lead others away from him and ultimately to an eternal damnation. As a loving father seeks to guide his children from evil, a loving God seeks to guide his children away from evil and to an eternal rest. I think I think both those comments are on the mark. I think it's a mistake when people try to picture God, like Randy says, as only a loving God. I think some people imagine God to be sort of like a doting grandfather. And and he just loves his grandchildren and everything they do is just so special and so wonderful and he never gets upset and he never he he, ne- he never you know disciplines or or uh, has anything bad to say that a lot of people want to picture God that way and that's not the Bible picture of God he is a just God and and he is a God who sends judgment and justice against those who violate his law but of course as we've pointed out so many times Jacob the law of God is for our well being he he. He has his rules because he knows what's best for us. Absolutely right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. It isn't a a contradiction in God's fundamental character that he is a loving God. It is not a contradiction for him to hate certain things. In fact, his character demands that he do so. I think that's right. I think, as Jack said, it it would be like an earthly father who hates things that might lead his children in the wrong path for instance a father might say i love my children i hate pornography uh because i hate that they that my children could be tempted to go that way i hate that i hate i hate that on the internet there's such a high percentage of of uh, pornographic content on the internet i just hate that well he uh, you know a, a father who would say that is not saying anything about not loving his children. He, in fact, the reason he hates that is because he loves his children so much. And so I think that's a pretty easy thing to resolve. God hates evil. 
God hates the, the what it does to people, and and His entire word and will are designed to help us steer clear of those dangers that will hurt us and cause heartache and trouble in our lives. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview.com, and thus we have the seven things that the loving God hates enumerated for us then in Proverbs chapter 6. Now back to the, uh, the, the discussion about the 6, yea, 7. It, it does appear to be a, uh, a Hebrew uh, literary device used numerous times in Job chapter 5, verse 19. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven. There shall not no evil touch thee. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, or Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. Uh, there be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. So, again, we see that that device over and over again. Proverbs 30, verse 20, uh, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, verse, uh, um, Proverbs 18, verse 29, uh, there be three things which go well, yea, four are coming and comely and going. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 12, give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So, again, over and over again. Uh, a, a literary device are calling attention, I think, to the, the subject. You know, it, it, we don't use, we don't do that typically. That's not in, that's not the typical way we express ourselves. But we would understand the meaning if I said, "We're coming upon a time of year when when the ladies fix a lot of sweets and desserts and so forth." And I'll tell you three I love. No, I'll tell you four that I really like. You know that, or you know that something like that would just we would it, it's intended for emphasis. Exactly right, and so we do then emphasize the fact that God does hate certain things, in spite of the fact that He is a loving God. There are things that He hates, and so we need to know those things, as you mentioned, uh, so that we know to avoid them. Let's uh, jump to our first break, Jacob. When we get back, let's get into the list of the things that God hates, and see if we can learn some things. Again, the the principle we're setting forth here is: if you know ahead of time that the Father in heaven hates these things then it would only make sense that you do your level best to avoid them, much like if you knew your boss didn't like certain ways of doing things, you would avoid doing the things that would make your boss mad. Well, even at a higher level, we want to avoid doing things that would upset the Lord. If you've not joined in on the discussion yet, send us your email during the break or give us a phone call. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we are back on the virtual Bible study tonight, and we're glad that you're with us, and we look forward to hearing from you. Join in on the phone, over email, or in the chat room tonight, as Sharon is in the chat room. Uh, Jared is in the chat room, and, oh, well, Sharon has bounced out of the chat room. Uh, Master of None is in the chat room as well. So uh, join in with some of the listeners in the chat room tonight and share your comments with other listeners. Uh, Jacob, we're going to start into this list of the things that that God despises. And uh, 
as we do that, I'm, I'm realizing that some people are going to be using different versions. So I'm trying to bring up some different versions here that, that maybe we maybe a lot of times just looking at different versions to help us understand some meanings. The first of them is these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look is number one. Mm-hmm. So a proud look, the Lord hates a proud look. And Randy, in his comments, uses the expression haughty eyes. Uh, so a proud look or haughty eyes would be uh, what's said there. I'm looking at some other versions. A master uh, of none along those lines says our facial expressions do tell a lot about our demeanor. Do we smile or wear a frown? Uh, he says our facial expressions will also show that we are uh, proud. So uh, that, that proud look that God hates uh, shows, uh, you know, again, about our, our character. I'm looking at about six or six or eight different versions here, and each of them, more of them say haughty eyes than, than use the expression proud look, but that's the one of those two definitions, one of those two translations is in every version, a proud look or haughty eyes. We get the idea of looking down your nose at someone or, uh, or you know, uh, you're, you're that, that, that arrogant uh, ex- facial expression. I think that's the idea. In other words, it's, it's, arrogance and pride and it's it's not it's not well hidden in other words this is a person who actually manifests this pride or arrogance uh in their life there's some other verses in proverbs that also talk about that in chapter 16 verse 5 proverbs 16 verse 5 says everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the lord though hand join in hand he shall not be unpunished and so uh, several statements in the scripture suggest that God does not like pride, that he desires us to be humble individuals. Um, so that's something we got to work at. I, I remember my grandmother, Jacob, every, every time that anybody, if any of us ever dared to use the word proud, she would stop us immediately, wouldn't let the conversation go any further until she corrected us and said, it's bad to be proud. And and she made the argument. I think it's a fair argument. I've never, I've never never seen it proved otherwise. She makes the argument that the word proud is never used in a positive way in the scriptures, and I don't think that it is. Now, down here in the South, we have an expression in which we use the word proud to mean happy or or pleased. You know, I'm proud to know you. Yeah, our listeners from other places in the country and around the world yeah. don't understand that, and it, it, it's a very, I think, a localized uh, yeah. expression. I'm proud to know you just simply means, you know, I'm happy, or uh, it pleases me to make your acquaintance. Or I'm proud to see you tonight. Uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense grammatically, but that's yeah. what people say. Yeah, and, and so if you're using the word that way, we're not condemning the use of the word that way. However, because of my grandmother's training of me for years, I can't bring myself even to use that expression because she made the point it's bad to be proud and the Bible doesn't use pride in a positive way. I think I think that's right. The kind of pride that we're talking about from the Bible is a, a bad characteristic, and everywhere we read in the Scriptures, it tells us not to be that way. I remember in Luke chapter 18, Jacob, the story of the two men who went up to uh, to pray, the, uh, the Pharisee and the publican, in Luke 18, beginning verse 10, it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So there's a very 
I think, easily understood proverb from Jesus, uh, a parable rather, from Jesus, that makes it very clear that we need humility and not pride in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The previous verse says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So, obviously, that's important to God. Uh, We need to be careful. Absolutely. And it is something uh, that's easy in our society. And you you see this throughout throughout time as societies become more wealthy, their arrogance goes up as well in the Old Testament. And uh, certainly I think it's happened in America as well. I do think that that this kind of pride we're talking about is a sort of excessive self-confidence. And when you get to that level of self-confidence, you you almost feel like I don't need God. Uh, I'm I'm completely capable of handling it on my own. Uh, Randy says this kind of person, a proud person, someone who looks down on others as if they are better, is what Randy says. And Jack says, haughty eyes or a proud look. This type of look tells others that you feel you are more important or better than them. Like Nebuchadnezzar looking over the kingdom, which he claims he had built all by himself, only to be given the mind of a beast so God could humble him. Daniel 4, beginning verse 28. Haughty eyes speak not of humility, but of a heart filled with pride. A heart filled with pride is a heart which does not acknowledge God. Instead, it's a heart which says, I've made myself what I am today. I think I think Jack's right. And I think there's an awful lot of that uh, in our society today. Uh, I just came across a statistic, Jacob, a survey of college freshmen. The most recent numbers indicate that almost 20% of college freshmen say that they have no religious preference. They're just not religious. They don't even care to indicate a preference when it comes to religion. They don't feel like they need God. They've got everything. Everything they have has probably been given to them. Uh, Very little personal effort put forth in order to achieve it. And they just feel like they've got it made. All right. Uh, one of the uh, stories about pride that is that it comes to mind is the story in Acts chapter 12 of Herod, who in uh, Acts chapter 12, verse uh, 21, and upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Uh, and so we see the ramifications of the fact that God hates an arrogant look or a haughty eyes. Uh, he smote Herod with worms and he died because he gave not God the glory. Jacob, looks like we're having some video trouble. Some of the, some of the people in the chat room are losing the video. I think it should be back now. All right, let's try that. If, if, let us know if you're getting, getting it. Uh, on, the, on the pride question, uh, Sharon says pride begins in the heart and shows in the countenance. Uh, Master of None says humility is the antithesis of haughtiness, for when we are humble, we care about others. We thank God for his provisions. We refuse to exalt ourselves, and we acknowledge God in all things. Sharon says pride deceives the heart. Uh, so, uh, and it looks like our video is back. So we're still playing with that new video. Sorry for the inconvenience. All right. But uh, I, obviously then, we got to be on guard about pride. God hates pride. And so as people interested in pleasing God, this is something that we've got to work on. We've got to be careful not to think too highly of ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly 
according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Notice the warning is don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Uh, I, I've made the point a number of times, but I think it's worth making again, Jacob. In in the last two or three decades, there's been this movement in uh, among counselors, psychologists, psychologists, and um, so forth to uh, to tell people that what they need to do is elevate their self-esteem. You, if you've got any problem, the idea was the reason you've got a problem is because you just don't love yourself enough. You need to you need to boost your self-esteem. You need to think more highly of yourself. Now, I, I acknowledge that there may be a very small percentage of people who have a problem with self-esteem at an at a, a sort of a psychological sickness level uh, there there are some people who have some sense some inappropriate sense of self-loathing I, I i realize that that may be the case i think the percentage of people who have that problem is typically pretty low all of the warnings in the bible all of them are not that we should think more of ourselves all of the warnings of the bible are that we should be careful not to think too highly of ourselves and I, if we if we are perceptive to what God is saying, that's got to register with us. The danger is we're going to be proud and haughty. The danger is we're going to think too highly of ourselves. In Philippians chapter two, um, beginning verse two, fulfill you my joy that you be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's what we're going to do. Lowliness of mind, not haughtiness of mind. We drop down to verse 8 in that context, talking about Christ and being fa- and found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto, de- unto death, even the death of the cross. If anyone could have a proud or haughty look, it could have been Christ. Uh, but he, when he came to this earth and was found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And we must follow his steps if we're going to be pleasing to God. All right. Let's go on to the second one in the list of seven things that a loving God hates. And the second one is a lying tongue. Um, uh, that one, I think, doesn't need much definition, Jacob. It seems very clear that God doesn't want us to be telling lies. He wants us to tell the truth. All right. Randy in Jackson, Missouri, says that that is someone who tells lies, even half-truths, with the intent of deceiving. Well, you know, people have the, the tendency, Jacob, to categorize sin and even specifically to have subcategories of lying. You know, there's big, horrible black lies, but they're little insignificant white lies. And a lot of people have no qualm of conscience about telling a little white lie. I, I, I think there are some people who lie uh, just with no no conscience about it at all. There's just some people who lie all the time. God loves honesty, and it's abomination to God if we tell lies, if we're dishonest. Notice that honesty is necessary even when there's not a chance of being caught. You've got to be honest. You've got to tell the truth even if there's no possibility that you might be exposed in your lie. And I would point out here, Jacob, that the modern concept of um, situation ethics, you know, that at certain times it might be justifiable to tell a lie or a half-truth, as Randy mentions, uh, maybe in particular to protect somebody's feelings, uh, even going way back, those of us who can remember, and this, of course, is still on TV, the Andy Griffith show. Andy often told things that weren't completely true in order to, to protect Barney's feelings. And and 
I think most people would say, yeah, that's understandable. You'd have to do that from time to time. Not according to the scriptures. There's there's no justification for not telling the truth. You know, in the Andy Griffith show, uh, the whole plot of that uh, comedy is to laugh at Andy when he makes those lies and how he gets himself into the, the binds that he gets himself in and how he lies out of those. Uh, we find ourselves laughing at the thing that God hates, and uh, we need to be careful about that. Okay, I think you're exactly right. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Uh, and, oh, and we can just multiply the verses. I remember in Revelation 21, verse 8, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars, not just the big black lies, but even those who tell little white lies or or lies that they believe they could justify because of the situation that they're in, all liars will have their part in the lake which burns uh, with fire and brimstone. There are no qualifiers on the condemnation against lying, and we need to understand that, and many people do not today. All right. So we've got lying. Now, remember, we've got a follow-up question to that. By the way, there are a number of other verses in the Proverbs. Quickly, let me give you a few other verses in the Proverbs that talk about this. Chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Chapter 11, verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his reward. I like that picture, Jacob. That's the picture of a balance scale. Merchants uh, in that day would have, if you wanted to buy two pounds of beans, they'd put a two-pound weight over here, and then they'd put a sack over here and fill it with beans until the balance leveled out. Well, if you wanted to cheat somebody, you just had a faulty weight. In other words, maybe this I, this this weight says it's two pounds, but it's only really uh, you know, a pound and a half. And so I, I I sell beans with the pound and a half weight that's labeled two pounds, and I cheat every person I sell to. And that's the the idea of Proverbs eleven verse one: a false balance is an abomination, or it's dishonesty, it's lying in effect. And then quickly in chapter twenty. Revelation, or excuse me, Proverbs 20, Proverbs 20, verse 10, uh, diverse weights, there it is again, diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them alike are abomination to the Lord, verse 23, Proverbs 20, verse 23, diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and a false balance is not good. And we could just go on and on, uh, talk about the need for honesty not to be lying. Okay. Uh, we need to take a break and get this week's bullet point. But two points are down, and we've got five to go. And remember the follow-up question, our last question, what's the difference between a lying tongue, the second in the list, and the sixth one in the list, a false witness that speaks lies? What's the difference in those two, or is there a difference? We're going to try to, to expand upon that as we get well, to it. That'll be interesting, so stay tuned for that. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. He rudely gulps down his food, pausing only long enough for a conspicuous burp along the way. In his haste, some of his dinner dribbles down his chin and onto his already soiled shirt. When he's finished, he offers no thanks, and without considering the concerns or needs of others, he settles down for a nap. When he wakes... Chances are he will begin immediately to make demands on those around him for some additional attention or some service to ensure his own comfort. How can we tolerate such a thoughtless and ungrateful individual? Easily. He's a baby. We expect this type of conduct from infants. It's normal. But slowly, gradually, we teach them. 
In time, they learn to think of others, to express appreciation, to offer help. If this progress does not happen, we begin to look for reasons why. Is there some failure in the child's learning ability? Some lack of parenting skills? We must find the answer. Now, consider the spiritual parallel. A particular Christian frequently sins. He manifests a real lack of Bible knowledge. He often offends his brethren by words and deeds that are not befitting of a child of God. He is truly spiritually weak. How can we tolerate such a person? Because he is a babe in Christ. He has not matured in his spiritual life. But this situation cannot go on indefinitely. He must be taught, and in time he must more fully learn his duty to God, his brethren, and all men. He grows, and as he does, he sins less frequently. If this progress does not happen, we ought to be looking for reasons why. What is lacking? Is there something wrong with his personal commitment? Are we failing him in the matter of teaching and encouraging him? We must find the answer. That's what you do when babes don't grow. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we look forward to your participation in this listener interactive program in which we benefit and our entire listening audience, both live tonight and for uh, months to come in the podcast. We'll benefit from your comments if you'll join in over the phone at 877-381-4567 or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We should take a minute to note that this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. If you are listening in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we would encourage you to come and visit with the College View Church of Christ at your earliest convenience. Find out more about the College View Church of Christ at uh, our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Or if you have any questions you'd like to speak with someone in person, give us a call at 877-381-4567. If you are not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we still would like to hear from you. If you have any questions about what the Church of Christ in uh, Columbia stands for, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, Let us know uh, your, your questions via email or over the phone. Again, regardless of where you are listening around the world. And we do have listeners from around the world. Dad, I think you heard recently from someone in Australia. Yeah, I got an email from Australia. So we, we get lots of requests from lots of different places. And by the way, we had, didn't mention tonight, if you want to be on our weekly update list, uh, you can do that. We, we'll put you on our list. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put it just put in the subject line, add me to the list, and we'll do that. All right. We are talking about seven things that God hates. We've gone through two, and there are five more things listed in Proverbs chapter 6 that the Lord hates. And we want to talk about those in the remaining portion of the program tonight. So join in on the discussion. During the break, Master of None said that those who are given to lying are likely also given to some other pattern of sin that they must uh, lie to conceal. And that typically is the case. I think that's true. I think lying is is sort of one of those seedbed kind of sins that generates other sins and is all connected with other kinds of sins. And uh, Sharon makes the same point. I think the point of the person she's talking about here making a, a comment uh, is that one builds upon uh, a other sin, upon the sin of pride. It is a sort of a, well, a, a gateway yeah. sin, maybe, if you will. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, you can think. Pride and lying as well. Yeah, uh, we could use the example maybe of a man who commits adultery. You know, the, the Tiger Woods episodes have been all in the news this week. And so here's a felt, and I'm not saying this about, I don't know Woods, obviously, but let's say here's a man and I think there would be some sense of pride or arrogance that would lead him to commit the sin of adultery. And then what's he going to do about it? Well, he's going to lie about it. He's, he's, going to, he's going to commit the sin in his pride, and then he's going to lie about it to cover it up. 
Uh, I, I've always said about somebody who would cheat on their mate, if they would do it, they would also lie about doing it. And so uh, we can see how those things are linked. And you're, and you're not making any accusations. You're just making the comment in general. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Sharon says uh, that uh, pride begins with the heart and then the tongue and then the hands and then the feet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the third one in on the list. Now, remember, our text for our study tonight is Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19, the, the seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. We talked about a proud look and a lying tongue. The third one is hands that shed innocent blood. Now, Jacob, it has been the law of God way on back in Genesis. In fact, just after Noah came off the ark, this law was was plainly spelled out. But I, I think it had been law before that. We Certainly. know, you know, uh, Cain killed Abel and was held accountable for doing it. But very plainly stated in Genesis chapter nine, verse six. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And so it, it has always been the case that it's wrong to commit murder. We we might talk about the difference between murder and killing. Uh, you know, there there is some killing that's justified and is not murder. In, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when we read the word killing, I think that that, that lines up more closely with our word for commit murder. Otherwise, uh, we've got God in a quandary because he says you should not kill in one verse, and he tells uh, them to to kill in other verses. Yeah. Even in the New Testament, Romans 13, verse 8, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and so on it goes. And so I, I think we're better served. It's a better it's a better understanding to understand those words to me, murder, because as you said, Jacob, God sometimes commands killing. Uh, you know, I, I I think we've studied capital punishment on the virtual Bible study before. I believe that the Bible teaches that governments should put certain people to death. It is the will of God that that be done. And so not all killing is a sin, but murder is a sin. And, and the taking of innocent blood is what we're talking about here is an abomination to God. Um I think, as as Randy says, there's some real pertinent modern-day applications of that concept, of that sinful concept that re- really fit the bill of shedding innocent blood. He said today this would include abortion, child abuse, spousal abuse. The, the abortion thing, Jacob, we've talked about abortion before too, but, I mean, it still continues to be an enormous problem. Millions of babies being aborted every year um, – and you, you can't think of, of a, a more classic, innocent being than an unborn child. And yet in our society, in our culture, uh, abortions are being performed continuously. And it's it's a shame and a disgrace. It's and God hates it. It's a horrible abomination to him. It's putrid in his in his in his sight. He he just despises that. I think if we are the people of God, we have that same attitude toward that sin. We have to. If we're going to be like God, we need to have the same attitude towards things that he has. Uh, and certainly we have to have that attitude towards uh, towards abortion and towards all uh, murder. Yeah. And, we, and, and for any who are interested in doing so, in the past we've done whole programs on abortion. And we've got some, we've got some, some I think, strong scriptural arguments that prove abortion is murder and con- considered a horrible sin in God's sight. And if you go back to our archives, uh, remember, we don't have a search engine on that website, but we, you can do a real simple thing with your computer. Hit Control-F and a little window will open up uh, and you type in the word you're looking for on that page 
And so go go to the archive page, do Control-F, type in abortion. It'll take you right to the program that we had on abortion, more than one. And you, you can get the scriptural arguments. I think they're they're easy and powerful scriptural arguments to be made that show that abortion is sinful. And you can use that as a resource. Um, Randy mentioned also child abuse uh, and spousal abuse in that category. And I think those could qualify as well. Uh, when, when, in, when innocent people are made to suffer, uh, this is an abomination to God. I was thinking of one other, Jacob, that's in the news sometimes more and more, I guess. We're hearing about it. And that's this business of euthanasia or mercy killing, uh, you know, uh, uh, assisted suicide or other things like that. Uh, that's the taking of human life, and God doesn't authorize that. Uh, there's i think that we have to take a pretty strong position on that because that's a pretty emotional thing here's this person who's suffering badly from a terminal disease you mean to tell me that you're going to force them to go on and suffer with that until it finally takes their life and so people usually when they're trying to justify something that they can't justify otherwise they make an emotional argument in support of it and and I, i would have to argue that there is no biblical justification for taking human life uh and so forth Exactly right. Uh, that proud look, again, would uh, sort of filter down into this idea of euthanasia and abortion and that you can determine who lives and who dies, and that certainly is a reflection of some of the proud attitude that we have. Looks like we're still having some video trouble, Jacob. That's back up now, um, but uh, certainly uh, we are having difficulties tonight. you think maybe our computer is just overworked? Yeah, it's sweating over here. I have to keep wiping the perspiration off oh, of it. It's going okay. to short out if I don't keep it dry. Okay, we may have we may have to upgrade our computer or go back to lower resolution video, which would be the easier solution to that. We may have to do that. Okay. Sorry for the trouble for those of you who are trying to watch. Yeah, we're sort of stuck for now. We'll have to limp through to the end of the program, but we may make changes next week. Um, Master of None says, God hates laws that don't protect the innocent and those who cannot defend themselves. I think he's right about that. On, on this question of shedding of innocent blood, our government is is culpable in the fact that they have legalized abortion and they and they they have laws in place that defend those who shed innocent blood and so I, I believe that that would indicate that God is angry with our government as well for for allowing that sort of thing all right you used a big word there culpable culpable yeah uh, we're going to take a break uh, here in just a few minutes can we sneak in? One more. We're running out of time, and we've still got several to go. Yeah, let's take the next one in Proverbs chapter 6. The next one is a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Uh, Let me look at a couple of other versions, maybe. That's the King James. Um, uh, The New American Standard says a heart that devises wicked plans. Uh, The New King James says uh, a heart that devises wicked plans. I think that's sort of the idea. Uh, looks like that's what all of them are saying here. So um, the idea of that in, in my mind, Jacob, is um, that here's a person who's actually planning to do evil. Uh, we understand Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, there's, none of, there's none of us who, who are claiming perfection. Uh, we understand sin is a universal problem. But there are some people who actually plan it. You know, some, some, all of us from time to time will slip into sin that we didn't really, uh, give, given that, that do-over, 
we wouldn't do it over. Uh, you know, we, we're sorry for it. We, we repent when we when we've committed the sin. But these are the kind of people who actually plan it. They devise wicked plans. They they make a a a, a design to accomplish that. And this tells us that that is an abomination to God. And we need to understand that that's something that God just absolutely hates. Um, let me let me throw in. Um, Proverbs 15, verse 26. Proverbs 15, verse 26 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. So uh, God knows what we're thinking, and if we're concentrating on planning and devising to do wicked things, God absolutely hates that. In chapter 1, Verse 11, beginning verse 10, chapter 1 of Proverbs, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay in wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down to the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. The young man is warned, cast in thy lot. Oh, they're encouraging him, cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. And he says, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. And so... There, there were some people who were planning evil, devising an evil thing. This is not justification for the occasional sin. Even the occasional sin, the, 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 the sin of weakness that we just slip into, will certainly damn the soul if we don't repent of it. But this is talking about people who are committed to it, and they're actually planning ways to get into sin. All right, and, and certainly that is something that is... What did Randy say? Randy said, uh, someone who plans evil deeds, a thief, an adulterer, a business swindler. I think that's exactly right. You know, you, you don't you don't commit adultery without first thinking about it and allowing yourself to head down that road. You don't... You don't uh, uh, you don't steal something without contemplating it first and proceeding to do it. And and so when you think about it, this is sort of the idea of premeditated sinning is something God really hates. All right. And certainly it is wickedness in the heart, and God's very concerned about our heart. We're going to take a last break, and then we go to the top of the hour, continuing with the seven things that God hates. Don't go anywhere. The limping along version of the virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. 
Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about seven things that a loving God hates. We're through uh, four of them, and we're ready to talk about the final uh, no, we're three. through four of them. We've yeah, got, we got three, three more to go. go. Three. But I think we can do this next one real quick, Jacob. The the next one in the list uh, is a, uh, feet that are swift in running to evil. I, and I, I think that that throws in real close with the previous one. A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running to evil. We've always said, Jacob, that thoughts precede action. So the heart that desi- devises wicked plans, he's thinking it. He's premeditating it. And then the the feet that are swift in running to evil they 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 go right at. It. I mean, th- this is the idea of someone. If you if you suggested something wicked to them, they'd be all for it immediately. You wouldn't have to talk them into it. You wouldn't have to try to coax them or urge them along. They would they would jump at the chance to do something wicked or evil. I'm telling you, there's way too many people like that in our world today. They are soon as they the the soon as the heart can think it, they're ready to put it into action in the world. We think about uh, you know people that we've known who who as soon as they get the opportunity to do some evil, they're ready to do it and without any reservation at all. Yeah. Uh, the um, This is why we say, we make such a point, Jacob, on controlling our thoughts. Thoughts precede actions. Therefore, we've got to control our thoughts. Get a hold of your thoughts. You'll have a lot better chance of controlling your actions. Proverbs, or excuse me, Philippians 4, verse 8, and other verses like that. That tell us to think on right things. Right. That, there's a reason for that. Absolutely. And so, God hates those who are thinking evil and then putting it into action. Yeah. Now, let's go. So so that's, we covered that one quickly. Let's go to the number six in the list, a false witness that speaks lies. Now, I asked the question. Oh, before we do, okay. Randy had an interesting take oh, okay. on that. Uh, he says that those who are feet that run rapidly to evil, someone who looks for ways to sin or puts himself in situations that tempt. I like that. That last part, especially put yourself in situations that tempt. If you are a God-fearing person, you try to avoid situations where you'll be tempted to sin. But the person who wants to commit evil allows himself, I mean, even plans to be in situation where he'll likely be tempted to do things he shouldn't do. Uh, that tells a lot about a person's heart right there. Okay. okay. Then, okay, now we're to the number six, a false witness that speaks lies. And we ask the question, What's the difference, or is there any difference, between a lying tongue that we talked about earlier, Jacob, and this one, a false witness that speaks lies? There is a difference, I believe. All right. Randy says someone who lies under oath when serving as a witness is a false witness that utter lies. Jack says a false witness that speaketh lies includes someone who, acting as a witness, twists or perverts the truth. A lying tongue is an advanced application of lying. Although a false witness speaks lies is closely related to someone who fabricates an accusation, it specifically applies to one who lies as a public witness. Yeah, Randy says the, the lying, the person with a lying tongue is someone who can't be trusted to tell the truth in everyday situations. A false witness is someone who lies when serving as a witness. This person can incriminate another with his lies. And I think the latter part of that is the main difference here. Not only are we telling lies, we're we're intentionally destroying others with those lies. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the the idea of incriminating someone else. You know, I might tell uh, the first one, a lying tongue. I might tell a lie just to sort of cover up some misdeed I've done. But if I'm a false witness, then I'm actually trying to get you in trouble with the lie I'm telling. I'm trying to I'm I'm giving false testimony that has the potential to harm someone else. 
the the classic example of that Jacob was in the case of Jesus when he was on trial and they called forth false witnesses they couldn't they couldn't tell the truth about Jesus because if they did there was absolutely nothing to incriminate him nothing to justify them condemning him to death and so they had to tell lies. I think it's interesting in the gospel accounts that, the, that they were so bad at what they were trying to do, their lies actually contradicted each other. But, of course, they succeeded in getting Jesus condemned to death. Uh, that's the classic example of false witnesses. But it certainly has uh, happened plenty of times. In Proverbs chapter 17, at verse 15, it says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just... Even they both are an abomination to the Lord. So God God is a just God, and therefore it, it makes sense that in his justice, he would despise those who pervert justice uh-huh, by telling lies. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that's the difference. Both involve lying, but this one involves lying with the potential to harm others through the lie that we tell. We have missed a few comments in the chat room tonight. It has been rather slow in the chat room, but we still have managed to miss some of the comments. But Master of None says false witnesses uh, are who destroy, uh, who wrongly defame the reputation of others are great, a great evil in God's sight. And so, uh, again, it's the idea of destroying uh, someone other with our lives. All right, and so let's go to the last one. We've got just a few minutes left. The last one in the list one who sows discord among brethren. Um, and this is an important one. I think it's really important. I think this is one that people overlook as not being anything that big of a deal. I think a lot of Christians need to think about this because there, there are a lot of instances where Christians are guilty of sowing discord. And they, I don't think they even realize how horrible what they're doing really is. And we need to wake up. This is something God hates. He hates it when we conduct ourselves in such ways to sow discord among brethren. I think it's interesting, Jacob, when there are lists like this in the Bible, and there are a number of places where there are lists, lists of sins and so forth, it's sort of of interesting to see the ones that are coupled together. In this list, the the one that jumps off the page at you is the, the hands that shed innocent blood. So, you know, you think of the abortion doctor, the murderer. And in this list, it's equated... God equates that with sowing discord among brethren. Now, that tells you how serious it is. It's not something to be taken lightly. Absolutely. It's very serious. Uh, you know, we look at uh, throughout scriptures at uh, what God wants from his brethren or from, from brethren, from uh, his followers. Jesus, in uh, his few moments before his uh, taken captive in John chapter 17, was praying that we would be unified. And so those who would come in and try and destroy the unity uh, that uh, Jesus wanted us to have so desperately that he was praying for it right before his crucifixion. Certainly it would be something that you're, you're, you're treading on something that's dear to God's heart. Exactly right. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We're supposed to put forth effort to maintain peace and unity among brethren, but some folks don't don't do that. They do just the opposite. Uh, some of the ways that that people sow discord in, uh, among brethren are so common, and I think it's probably uh, exemplified in every local congregation of God's people. 
people who gossip and spread rumors, they may think that they're doing so innocently, but that causes tremendous amounts of trouble. And 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 they are specifically guilty when when you do that, you are specifically guilty of sowing discord among your brethren. Every congregation that I have ever known of has a gossip grapevine. Some are much worse than others, but all of those grapevines need to be dug out at the root. We need to stop doing that because it's sowing discord. God hates that when that happens. And I tell you, we need to set up and take notice to that. All right. That's exactly right. Uh, it, it is a serious sin. God hates it. Uh, certainly, there are lots of ways to sow discord, as you said. Gossip is one. Um, uh, general lack of our brethren, a love for our brethren is another one that uh, would uh, cause this uh, this discord. Uh, we've, we've got to work on that, and we've got to make sure that we're not guilty of that. You know, unity requires both parties. It requires my action as well as, as my brother's action, and I need to make sure that I personally am not guilty of uh, sowing discord. In, uh, in Proverbs 16, verse 28, a froward man, that's just a, a a gruff, contrary, hard-to-deal-with person, a froward man, so a strive, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. In other words, if we're going around whispering, telling, telling, of course, you whisper sort of under your breath. That's how you spread rumor and gossip. And so a whisperer separateth chief friends, it says. Um, in chapter 17, verse 9, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends, it says. Um and then you're, I think most of our listeners will remember in Psalm 30, 133 and verse 1 where it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a great thing. But it doesn't come accidentally. Brethren do not dwell together in unity without putting forth effort in, to achieve that. And I, I think as Christians that we need to, to prioritize in the matter of maintaining peaceful relations within the local congregations. And to do that, you have to be careful not at all to ever contribute to sowing discord among brethren. A master of none has some good comments before we close in the chat room about this idea of sowing discord. He says the fool could care less about peace, creating indifference and interruption for the work of God. He says we should ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say a benefit for the one to whom I am speaking to if we did, we would eliminate a lot of problems. Exactly right. Think before you talk, and that will certainly help us to avoid the sin that God hates so much, and that is sowing discord among brethren. Uh, Randy says, um, one who spreads strife among others, a, a troublemaker, a gossip, someone who incites others to rebel against leaders. You know, that's I, I, I especially like his last point, to rebel against leaders. One of the ways to cause discord, and, and I've seen it happen far too often in churches, is for someone to rumor and gossip about the elders, the leadership of local congregations. And, and that quickly leads to discord. Exactly right. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for your comments. Thanks to others, who, especially those of you who have been commenting in the chat room tonight. And thank you for being patient with us on the broadcast tonight. Some technical challenges and glitches that we want to resolve for next week. Uh, but we appreciate you being patient and sticking with us. It looks like everybody has stuck with us, even though you did have to come back online uh, several times throughout the evening. 
We're glad that you were part of the program tonight. Dad, thank you for the good comments and interesting discussion and a good uh, discussion for us to consider. Thank you, Jacob. Enjoyed it. All right. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of the program tonight, and we hope that you benefited from our study of seven things that God hates. We hope that you will make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.